Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast and Gnome Stew's Tabletop Gaming Advice Podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by awesome Patreon backers like the stupendous Sam Groton, the stunning Suzanne Cabral, and the singular Stephen Farrell. This brought to you by the letter S. Today, we have myself, Ange, along with Senda, Matt, and today we're going to talk about the size of your table. No, not the actual physical table itself, but the number of players that play in your game. Before we dive into that main topic, though, let's ask our get-to-know-a-gnome question. Even though we're not actually talking about tables and chairs, I wanted to know about your dream game room and what it includes. Matt, let's start with you. I feel like I would like a separate room just for the gaming. I would like a fancy table. You know, one of those you know dream game tables that you see for way too much yeah. freaking money. But holy shit, are they amazing. Yeah, the old geek chic yeah. And I would, I really like maps. And uh, so I'd like to have like, you know, maps all over the walls. And in particular, I actually bought a uh, digital copy of a map of Fairyland from like the eight, 800s or 1200s or something like that. That's wall size. It's like six feet wide. Only, mm. you know, you have to find some way to print it out yourself. <laughs> So at some point, I'd like to get that printed out and up on the wall. Something that we will tangentially touch on this episode is I, I need some kind of IT solution because my wife and I find ourselves more and more playing online using Roll20 or a similar piece of software. And so, you know, there needs to be some sort of interface with that in your gaming room if that is, you know, how you play. So, you know, just a couple of interesting elements yeah how about you senda it's really interesting because this my dream game room has definitely changed over the years and at the moment it's definitely like a nice table and chairs and the key here is like comfy chairs that are comfortable to sit in for four hours at a shot like that's really important to me and then like i don't know If it's not some sort of table that has like some of the cool geek chic things, then having some sort of side tables and stuff for snacks and drinks so that you can keep that out of your gaming stuff. Mm -hmm. But like the other part of this is I play a lot of games that don't necessarily require a table, like a table table. So like the comfy chairs are really key because if there's not comfy chairs, then I should just get a bunch of comfy couches and like a reasonable coffee table and like we could play there too and it would be fine. I think comfort is the primary thing. So if you asked Camden this question, I'm just going to say this because he used to have a game room in his basement and it was great because he had a table and he had chairs and he had like a whole little like mini fridge that was always stocked with soda and sparkling water and a whole basket of snacks, a hot water tea station and a coffee thing. Like I want that little corner in my game room also. Yeah. So that like when you're down there, like you don't have to get up and go upstairs to get stuff like or whatever, like you don't have to go to another room. You can just be like, here are the game snacks. Here they are. There are dishes and bowls and stuff to eat them from, to not make messes. And then the other thing for me is that I would like it to have echo reducing capabilities because for me, any game room right now doubles as a recording space. So, <laughs> so that like, is true. That is true. sound dampening also would be great. <laughs> what about you, Ange? 
you know, honestly, you brought up one of the really big points that would go into my gaming space. And I was actually talking about this with a friend who is looking to, in the nearish future, possibly get one of those fancy game tables. Oh, yeah. And one of the things we, you know, like I had noticed in looking at all of these is that, like, a lot of thought has gone into the table. Very little thought has gone into the chairs. Right. And I'm like, but I'm going to put my butt on that for four hours. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you you really, really need the, the comfy chair if you're going to make this work for the four hours. So I feel it's, like it's like office chairs, maybe like having wheelie comfy, good office chairs might be. I actually I was at a I was at a restaurant, uh, Bar Louie local it's a chain i don't know how far they've spread yeah but no they're here too they they had like a lounge area and they were they were like a cross between uh like a, a like a kitchen chair and a, a like a living room chair and i was like they always it was super comfortable and i'm like i could design a game room around these chairs yeah right you know, and like maybe have a slightly lower than normal table. Yep. yep you yep. know, and you know, or just you know a slightly taller coffee table or yep. something like that, and a bunch of little side tables around, and that's really all you need. It's like it's for me, it's the comfort along with the the, the flat surfaces you yeah. need for all the for stuff. The stuffs. Yeah. Yeah, and then like you said, the the having some sort of space. For the uh, the snacks and the drinks, so people don't have to keep running to other rooms in the house. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like that. That would be perfect. It's it's really nice because you're like, cool. You're describing something. I'm gonna get up and grab some chips, but like, you don't miss anything. <laughs> yeah, you don't miss anything because you had to go upstairs into the kitchen right. or, you know. Isn't it funny how we all assume it's a basement, but it totally was a basement in the case I'm describing. <laughs> You know, it, as long if it's the basement is fine as long as you know, like it's some care and love has gone into making it comfortable. Yeah. Instead of just being bare cement floor, cinder block walls, and the rafter ceiling. Yes. You know, Agreed. it's like there, there was one creepy guy I gamed with many years ago who uh, had this huge house, huge house for him, his wife, and his toddler daughter, and his wife confined him to the unfinished basement oh, no. for any gaming oh, that's so, so it was mean. literally <laughs> it was literally like i was playing with somebody back in high school oh. where mom was like you can have you can have free run of the basement yeah and i'm like you're a grown-ass man paying the mortgage on this house right. i mean and we can't play in your dining room i mean yeah that's I, I mean right now i play in my kitchen or occasionally in my living room usually the kitchen because the table reaching situation is better but yeah. I would wish for better chairs. You know. <laughs> anyway, let's let's <laughs> moving let's dive on into our main topic. <laughs> so before we move on, because we're discussing physical game spaces, there was a series of articles back in the day by Walt and John and I about whether you should get rid of your table and sit on those comfortable chairs and lounge on your couch, or whether you needed to rigidly sit around your table or whether you could have some happy medium. I was on team rigidly sit around your table for the record. Uh, but um, those are called game without the table. The table is ambiance and don't table your table. So there you go. <laughs> we, we will put those in the show note. So, you know, what is the ideal number of players to have in your game? We've talked a little bit about the table, but 
what about the people that sit around that table? The number of ideal players for a game has actually changed over the years slash decades I've been gaming. And it's something I've been kind of thinking about a while because it's it's had to, I've had to change my thought process on what you know what is an acceptable size table. And I thought it would be cool if we brought together a couple of us gnomes to talk about table size, our preferences, and how that affects the games we play. I know for me, my generally speaking, my ideal number of players is six, but that's you know that's change. You know, it, different games call for different number of players. Senda. Some of the games you play tend to call for fewer players. Fewer. And um, and one of the things that I would say about that is actually because recording for She's a Super Geek, we try to keep the number of tracks down to kind of a minimum mm. because just from a purely technical standpoint, the more tracks you have in a recording, the more time it takes to edit and the more work it is. And like that's just sort of a fact of, of the technology when you're not recording in the same space. But the end result of that is that I'm actually really comfortable these days playing games with a lot fewer players. If I'm sitting down to run a game and I've only got two players, like, that is completely fine by me. I think for me, my sweet spot, especially with a lot of the games that I play, is actually probably three to four. I've started even... I used to always put down my con games for max number of players as six. I don't even do that anymore. I put down my max number of players as five because that really is where I'm still really comfortable with it. Six people, especially when you run the some of the weird games that I run, right? Where you're like, I'm going to run this in two hours. Okay, but getting like six people equal spotlight time in six hours, or in two hours, six people, two hours, not six people, six hours. There we go. Um, six <laughs> people, two hours. Trying to get everybody a reasonable amount of spotlight time when you have six players at the table and two hours to get the entire game played means that as a GM at the table, it can get kind of frantic. Even though it's totally doable, it takes a lot of energy to do it. And if I do that with four people, it's totally chill and relaxed and I don't have to like panic and like push things really fast, right? So, so mine has shrunk. I actually, I don't mind playing at a table with six players at all, but when I'm running a game, I think my perfect table is really four, which is really interesting mm -hmm. because right now my home group fluctuates between, oh, let's see, when isn't here anymore? So I, it used to go up to six. And at one point it went up to seven, but I think we're actually down to five. Does that include the GM or five players and a GM? I think I'm running for five right now because it's ended up that Andy can join us for this particular run. But normally I think we're actually down to four players and a GM. Gotcha. How about you, Matt? What's your, what's your regular number of players and what is, your, what is your comfort level with number of players? I spend much more time these days prepping than I do actually running anything. Uh, I think <laughs> I've been saying that literally since Gnomes 2 started, and it's been true the whole time. And uh, ironically, I hate to prep. Uh, <laughs> There's this book that this guy wrote about prep. You might have heard of it. <laughs> yeah, I've actually read that, and I've read the one by the Lazy Dungeon Master, too. And, right. <laughs> and they serve me well for all of like 20 minutes and then I just kind of fall back into stuff. And you may re have read my recent series in which I'm there like, here, let me detail out several hundred encounters before we even hit the table, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure you don't like prepping? <laughs> I hate it, which is why oh. that series of articles is like a month and a half late. So, <laughs> 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 but usually, you know... I, 
I feel like it's comfortable to go in the four to six range. You know, just like you were talking about spotlight time, that is easier to do there. Although I will note some players love the spotlight more than other players. We've talked about this on a <laughs> previous cast, but my some of my wife's games that she plays on, on Roll20, so, some of the players, man, to, to get them to do anything other than, you know, I hit it with my sword is like pulling goddamn teeth. Whereas other ones, they'll just take over the whole session themselves. However, I've always been enamored with, and, and I'd always like to run one of these groups like they apparently had, you know, in the mythology of the early days, where you have like, oh, 12 to 20 players, and they just sometimes show up and sometimes they don't, and they let you know who's going to be there that week, and you have completely different parties from time to time. Now, clearly this doesn't work for some kind of games, but, you know, that that's what I'd love to do someday, although it will probably never happen or work. <laughs> when Senda and I were at BreakoutCon this past spring, we were on a panel with Chris Spivey, who mentioned he has a 12-player Shadowrun oh, campaign gosh. that's been going on for years. It was something very big, and I oh. was like... I don't think I I once ran a 10 person game of all out of bubblegum in 2 hours and I will never ever 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 do that again. See Shadowrun seems to me to be the perfect <laughs> kind of system to run that game in because you have basically characters find leads and then do legwork and research and scouting and stuff. And then they say, okay, for this run, we need, you know, a heavy and a, uh, a hacker and a, you know, bot specialist and a blah, blah, blah. And then you go and you pull out of the pool of 12 characters who it is you need. You get them invites and the rest of them can go suck eggs that week. <laughs> I don't, from from the way he, he described it, it was more like whoever showed up, they were there for that game session, and that's what he dealt with. Mm -hmm. And he said he rarely had, like, the full complement of players in any one game, but he would still have up to seven or eight players, you know, show up for the game. And for for my own self, I remember back in the day that it was not uncommon to have eight to ten players at the table, you know, and that was your game session. Many... Many con games had, you know, a max of eight players. In fact, when I started running games for cons, I would always put down max of eight. And I would come prepared with eight PCs for the players. The last time I did that was a couple of years ago. I had put a masks game on the schedule for a lo small local con and it was one of the first things to fill up. And the, the guy who, who runs the con, who is a friend, reached out to me and he's like, is there any way we can add a couple of players to your game? Because it's so, it's so popular and people want to play and I, I, need more, I need more seats for role-playing games. And I was like, okay. So I ran a masks game for eight players. And that is not a game I feel like would lend itself to that number of people. No, it, it wasn't. I mean, it turned out to be a great session, but really only about, like, like there were a couple of players that really, I mean, like, the players didn't seem to mind because they were fairly passive players and were kind of along for the ride and the story that was being told, but they themselves did not interact in the story except when I turned to them and I'm like, okay, what do you do? 
but like the actual story itself, which is the important part to me, could really only go to about four of the eight players yeah. for the, the whole session. You know, which, like I said, the other players didn't seem to mind. Everyone raved about the session, but I know for my comfort level that that, that hit a threshold that I'm like, nope, not going to do that again. I'm still comfortable with six. I've, I've found six is my, my comfort level. But on the other, the other side of the scale, I get super uncomfortable if I have less than three players. Oh, I'm so sorry. I totally did that to you. <laughs> no, th three is usually okay, and online does change the dynamics a bit. But if I'm at a physical table and I only have two players in front of me, I'm just like, oh my god. I'm, you know, like, like first of all, the game is going to run way quicker than I've planned it to. It's if I plan for a four hour, you know, four hour session with breaks and ending 10 minutes early, it's still probably only going to take three hours. And I feel exhausted at the end of it because there was never any point where I felt I could just step back as the GM and let the players interact because the players are both looking at me to, to be more on, more involved, more providing them entertainment, I guess. You know, whereas if I have three or more, you know, like the, the, the mask game I ran for She's a Super Geek worked out perfectly because there was plenty of times where I could just take that step back and let your three characters interact and create magic. It was good. You know, like, I know you think you're ready for this, <laughs> but... Oh, it was magic. The game was magic. <laughs> Matt, do you have a, do you have a, like, a low threshold, too, where you, you, you just, you know, don't like running for less than a certain number of players? I, I don't think so, and it might just be particular to my setup. The easiest, lowest hanging fruit for players for when I finally get around to running something is my wife and sometimes daughter. So <laughs> I very often will will run, you know, one shots for two players. Just to clarify, she is always his daughter. She's just <laughs> only there sometimes. Yes. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that sentence could be interpreted weird Sorry. in many different ways now that I think about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> No, I've disowned her this week. Um, sometimes. Sometimes disowned. Yes. Hey, Chris is one of the few people who's actually been on a gnome cast who isn't a gnome. Yes. And you know, she she's role-playing games are not her favorite thing, much to my chagrin. Uh, you know, <laughs> many, many things that I tried to expose her to over the years, she's just kind of said, meh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she doesn't always play with us. But anyway, because of that, you know, it's just easier to be like, yeah, sure, let's just play something tonight. Oh, it's just me and you? Okay, no problem. And so, you know, that, that I'm, I'm comfortable with that. It's definitely different because there is, it's just like a conversation between two people. But, you know, yeah. I just have a lot of practice at it. A couple thoughts before we spin and move on. It's interesting how... Some of these play styles, some of these numbers of groups will impact character builds as well. Mm -hmm. Now, not necessarily mm -hmm. in every game, but, you know, when, when we were talking a minute ago about, oh, well, you know, the, the people who show up are the people who show up and that's what we run with definitely leads to a much more generalist character build than, than the ones with the, the 
these are my core players and they show up every week. Because if the only people who show up are the three glass cannons, they're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, the other thing that I just had kick around in my head when we talked about passive players versus active players, and you said you see that a lot mm -hmm. in cons too, it would be an interesting like uh, sociological study to see what percentage of players in general are highly active and what are you know which ones are low activity and so on yeah. then you could kind of plan your your group sizes around the expected proportion of high active players <laughs> i had a i had a very bad con game last year where i had basically six passive players <sighs> sit at my table and like normally you have like even if you have just one or two active players and the others are passive the active players will pull the passive players along, but when I had six passive players, I could not get them to do anything, and it was exhausting and frustrating. And you know, like I had six, a uh, six seats, six seats filled, and it was, it was, yeah, it was exhausting. That's actually one of the reasons that I don't like to put down six available seats or mm -hmm. higher at cons anymore because um, the more passive players without an active player who sit down that I have to feed my energy into to make game happen, the less energy I have when I'm done. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it, it, it can be really draining. Like you can still make a really good game happen and the players will leave the table like, yeah, that was awesome. And I leave the table like, oh my God, I need to sleep for a week. Like people underestimate the amount of emotional energy that you have to pour into a game to make it run, right? Especially when nobody else at the table is giving it back to you. And and I will say that was that was probably the only time I've had like that many passive players at once. Yeah, you know, like I said, usually there's at least one yeah, or two who's giving back mm -hmm. and keeping the game moving forward. But yeah. Can I make one more comment about minimum number of players? Because I had a thing floating around in my head. Yeah, sure. And uh, this comes from my um, my dive into the land of fun, weird indie games where I'm living my life right now. And that is, um, I'm, I'm, it's interesting because in games with a GM, unless they are specifically written to be one GM and one player, I would prefer to have a minimum of two players, right? Mm -hmm. But I've been playing all of these games recently that are like GMless, but just two players, right? And it's, it's really interesting because they are extremely intimate. And I think that a, some of the reason that we get nervous about small numbers of people sitting at a table is because it gets more intimate and it's less comfortable because it's not as big of a group. And the, the last game that I played, and I actually wrote an article about it and then ended up releasing audio of it um, also, was uh, Twain, which is a single-player LARP, Ooh. which is really interesting because there's no one but you. And it's even more intense and intimate because like there's no one else to judge you for the decisions that you make or like how you do something or why you do something or anything like that because it's just you like in your own head like doing a thing and having an experience and it's really really cool and I think it speaks to the kinds of different experiences that we can have from gaming so like not everybody is looking for the same thing mm -hmm. I couldn't have a really, um, I might be able to have a really deep emotional experience with six people at a table, but it would probably depend very highly on who those six people were. 
but I'm significantly more likely to be able to have a really deep experience with a smaller number of people with whom I have a rapport or a trust built up. And like, so it's interesting because that's part of what I'm chasing in gaming right now is Mm -hmm. experiences and like specifically emotional ones, which I know is not what gaming is for everyone. So when you're talking about strategy stuff, it matters a lot less how many people are at your table or if you're switching people around because you're coming to the table to enjoy the strategy of the game and like how you make something happen. And so it's really interesting because I think it's partially just, you know, different types of fun and everybody goes for like different things. And it changes and stuff over time. And like, I don't know, talk to me a year from now. And this may not be what I'm into gaming anymore for. But and it didn't used to be what I was in it for. But it's interesting because I can plot my change in the number of players that I like to play with against the same plot of what kinds of games I like to play and what I'm going for from the experience. Like they, they follow the same trajectory. So I think it's tied into a bunch of stuff, too. And it's like, I don't know. It's not commenting on how anybody takes fun from their game. I hope I made that clear because everybody just takes fun from different things. But it's interesting to me that those things have correlated in my personal experience. As you were talking, I kind of put together a thought in my own head about why I like that five to six range of player numbers. And it's because when I have that many players, I know that there will be enough players at the table to mitigate anyone who's hitting on my annoyance level. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, that's a thing. It's totally you know, a thing. Because <laughs> if I've only got a couple of players and one of them is annoying the crap Oof. out of me, you know, I'm like... Yeah, you can't get away. <laughs> you can't get away from it. Whereas if you've got a lar- slightly larger table, I can be like, yes, you're annoying me, but I can shut you down for a moment and focus on these other players to find out what they're doing. And it, it basically, it, it makes it makes gaming with a wider variety of people easier for me, I think. It, that makes complete sense. Yeah. yeah. So that raises two thoughts in my head. So you're talking about the greater intimacy of fewer players. And it occurred to me that maybe the reason I gave you the answer a little while ago, oh, I have no problem with few players, is because those players are by default my wife and daughter. And, yeah. you know, I have no problem being, you know, having a fairly intimate connection with them because they're family and we live together. Yeah. Uh, maybe yeah. if you dropped two completely different people in front of me, maybe it would become a completely different story. I should I should find out. Yeah. The other thought I had was I was playing Skyrim not too long ago. And uh, I said to myself, I've never played an evil character. I think I'll do that this time. <laughs> and I started and I got to the bottom of the hill and I'm supposed to turn right and go to town. And I turn left and say, I'm going to go this direction this time. And I, I run into a trapper and they're they're just sitting at a fire and they've caught some stuff and they're probably pretty low level. And I got out my Warhammer and I smashed their head in and took their stuff. And then I'm there like, wow, I feel like a really horrible person right now. I'm going to delete this game and start a new character and never experiment with this again. <laughs> so pretend that this never happened. Yeah. So yeah, it's inter- there's there's probably some sort of overlap there between like single player uh role playing games and single player video games and who you choose to role play and who you don't, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we should probably start wrapping up. Um any last thoughts from either of you? Oh gosh, I mean, I feel like you've got a lot of thoughts from me already. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, hit, we hit a lot of thoughts. I feel like we haven't even started. 
I know there's just so yeah. much more we could dig in, but I guess, you know, I guess we'll just have to write some articles. <laughs> yeah, we can write some there articles. There we go. <laughs> That'll yeah. work. So this show is funded by the GnomeStew Patreon. You can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the GnomeStew website to the GnomeStew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by the future of online tabletop RPGs, the virtual game room. Take your place in the cyberpunk now and jack into the game of your online GM. And don't worry about dealing with the laundry or doing the dishes because your game space is exactly what you want it to be. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows. Here's another one to check out. Sure, on the Misdirected Mark podcast, Chris, Phil, and Bob go live every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. my time to break down and get inside (laughs) games, game mastering, playing games, and game design in an effort to entertain and inform you. You can find all of us at GnomeStew.com, at GnomeStew on Twitter, GnomeStew on Facebook. Matt, I'm assuming those are still the only places to find you on the internet? Pretty much, yeah. Okay, Senda, where else can we find you on the internet? Gosh, this question is always hard and long. You can find me on Twitter at I-D-E-L-L-A-M-I-T-H-L-Y-M-M-N-N-D. There we go. It's Idella Mithland. Or you can find me at Saskeek Podcast or at Pandastock Games. Or you can catch me on those podcasts as well, Saskeek.com and on the Misdirected Mark dot com site with pandas talking games hey Ange, <laughs> where do we find you on the internet <laughs> you can find me on twitter and instagram as orikes 13 o-r-i-k-e-s 13 though as always i will warn you instagram is mostly pictures of my cats so do you guys think we avoided the stew this week maybe we should find a few more players to throw in i think we should throw in other people's players instead of mine <laughs> <laughs> maybe some of those passive ones they right <laughs> Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Matt, let's start with you. Okay, let me swallow. Oh, God! <laughs> <laughs>